So we're right in the middle, or maybe the last quarter, of a series on living by faith, how to live by faith. And this morning, I want to talk about motivating obedience by faith. And as I was thinking about this topic, I was reminded about how years back, when I was still living in the U.S., God convicted me of an area in my life where I was not obeying Him. And it's that I'd never shared the gospel with my next-door neighbor. I'd known him for a couple of years, a number of years actually at that time, and we had talked numerous times. Um, but I'd never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. I, I knew that he didn't know Christ. I knew that he did not have the, the life of God filling him, satisfying him. I knew that he was facing God's wrath forever because of his sin. And as I look back, I, I, just, I saw that it was because I was afraid. I was afraid of, you know, having an awkward conversation where he's just like, I wish you weren't talking to me about this. I was afraid of having our relationship kind of become strained after that, like we're kind of keep our distance, or I was afraid of just having him think I was strange, you know, weird, whatever. And it was really just simply because of fear, but the Lord convicted me. I mean, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. What more loving action could we take than sharing the good news of Jesus? We were literal neighbors, and I hadn't shared with him. I was disobedient to the Lord. And this morning, I want to talk about what do we do at those times when we see that there's an area in our lives where we should be obeying Jesus Christ, and we're not. How do we motivate obedience? So to help us do this, let's just review a couple of commands. I made a list of commands in my notes here. Here's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to read and study his word. It's a command, right? He calls us to be devoted to prayer, to love our enemies. How are we doing on that? He calls us to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. How's that one going? He calls us to have sexual desires only for your spouse. So important to fight for sexual purity. He calls us to love our wife, our husband, our children, Husbands, how are we doing? Wives, how are you doing? How are we doing parents with our children? To tell the truth, Jesus calls us to do that. To be part of a church community where we're serving and laying our lives down for other brothers and sisters. He calls us to forgive everyone who hurts us. Have we forgiven everyone? To be humble, to be patient, to be thankful. Okay, just to give you an example. So here's some of the commands in God's Word. And and when we think about his commands, of course, I left out, he calls us to make disciples of all the nations, to share the gospel with people. So when we make a list of, of the commands that Jesus gives us, we can see, I mean, I'm sure all of us, there's areas in our lives in which we are not obeying like we should. And if you don't see that, you're not, you're not looking close enough yet, okay? All of us have areas in our lives where we are not obeying God as we should. And so the question is, how do we motivate obedience in those areas where we're lacking? How does God want us to motivate our obedience? That's the first question I want to start with. And there's lots of passages that answer this, but the one I want us to focus on is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, a description of Abraham when he obeys. So look in your Bibles, Hebrews 11, 8, we'll have it up here on the screen. Here's what the author of Hebrews tells us. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
Now notice the first two words of Hebrews 11.8. It's by faith that Abraham obeyed. So the way that Abraham obeyed, he didn't just start obeying. He obeyed in a certain way. He obeyed by faith. So what does that mean? Well, two verses earlier, the author has told us what he wants us to be focusing on when it comes to faith. And here's what he says, Hebrews 11, verse 6. He says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. One, that he exists. And two, that he rewards those who seek him. So faith means believing that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. So for Abraham to obey by faith meant that Abraham was trusting that God would reward him and that the reward would be a reward. It would be worthwhile. He obeyed by thinking and praying about God's promise of rewarding him. And he thought about that reward and prayed about that promise of reward until his heart was stirred that, yes, I want that reward. And so he obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed by trusting in the promise of reward. Now, that's how we ought to obey as well. That's why the author of Hebrews writes about Abraham. He wants us to obey by faith, which means he wants us to obey because we're trusting the promise of reward. Now, if you're anything like me, when I first started to see rewards mentioned in this passage and other passages, I wasn't so sure about that. I had some misgivings about focusing on rewards so much. But just to help you see, first of all, how often this is described in the Bible, let me give you some other passages. This is all over the scriptures when you start to look for it. For example, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't, don't publicize it. Don't you know, put it on the front page of the newspaper. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what should motivate you to give to the needy? Not having everybody know that you've given to the needy, but the fact that your Father's going to reward you because you gave to the needy. Do you see that here? That's how Jesus is motivating us. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what should motivate our prayer? Not that I hope other people will notice how much I'm praying, but you go where no one can see you. So what should motivate you? You know that your Father is going to reward you for praying. Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? What should motivate giving to the needy and prayer is the thought of, I want the reward. Third passage, Matthew 6, 17 through 18. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret, and what does he say again? And your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. So what should motivate fasting is not being, making a show of it to other people, but I want the reward that the father promises. Luke 6.35, Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. So why do we love our enemies? I want a great reward, that's why. Are you, are you seeing this? Okay, just in case you're not, two more. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily 
As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. And then 2 John 1.8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. So you see all these passages about reward. Now, there's also lots of other passages where the word reward isn't used, but it's talking about rewards with different terms. Let me give you some of these. Are you, are you persuaded yet? I didn't think so. Okay, let's keep going. All right. Look at Luke 14. First time I read this verse, it just shocked me with what Jesus says here. Luke 14, 13, and 14. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So when you invite people over who can't do anything in return, you don't need to think, I am just guess I'm just out. No, repayment is coming at the resurrection. Reward is coming. doesn't use the word reward, but Jesus is talking about the same thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The more you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the more satisfied in Christ you will be. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The more good you do, the more you'll reap from the Lord. What should motivate our doing good is the thought of reaping. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul's talking about evangelism here. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He's not saying that only one believer is going to get this prize, okay? He's just saying, run like you're the only one, okay? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. So run for the prize of the imperishable wreath. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. One more. With goodwill render service. As to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Do you see how often the scriptures talk about reward, prize, receiving back from the Lord as what should motivate our obedience? Do you see that in these passages? The more we obey the more reward we will receive. It's very simple. But still, when I saw all these passages, it, it troubled me. There were two things that were bothering me, and I think that they might be two things that are possibly bothering some of you right at this moment as well, maybe. Let's ask, why do we struggle with the idea of rewards? Because when I first saw these in the Scriptures, it it just troubled me. I wasn't really sure I should be motivated by rewards. I wasn't sure I should pursue rewards. I didn't really hear many people talking about rewards. I was struggling with it. And there were two reasons why I struggled. Let's see if they're the reasons maybe you're struggling too. One reason was because I was misunderstanding what the reward is. I had misunderstood what it was. What is the reward? See, some people think we should not need to be motivated by rewards because, I mean, shouldn't Jesus be enough for us? Anybody feel that? 
Why should we need to be motivated by rewards? Jesus is enough for us, right? And the answer to that is absolutely right. And that's the whole point. When God motivates us with the reward, Jesus is the reward. This is not health or wealth or mansions, bigger mansions in heaven or having thicker streets of gold out in front of your mansion or anything like that. Jesus Christ is the reward. More nearness with Him, more joy in Him, more beholding of His glory. He is the reward. Do you see that? This is so important. Please don't misunderstand this. Jesus Christ is the reward. Now, let me give you a scripture to make that really clear. John 14, 21. Look at what Jesus taught. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, the word reward isn't used in this passage, but notice Jesus motivates our obedience by promising us a reward. And what is the reward? More manifestation of Jesus to us. More nearness with Jesus Christ. More beholding of His glory. More sensing His presence. More deep, powerful worship of the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the prize. He is the reward. Don't think that the reward is something else. Because the path of following Christ can cost you terribly in this life. Right? So if you're looking for those things, you may not get those things. But if you're looking for Jesus and more of Him, you will. Now let me give you an illustration of this from the life of one of my heroes, David Brainerd. You ask, who was David Brainerd? David Brainerd lived in America in the 1700s. And when he was in his 20s, he became a missionary to the American Indians. And he wrote a journal you can still buy it today, called The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, edited by Jonathan Edwards. I would strongly encourage you to read David Brainerd's Life and Diary. But in his journal, he wasn't planning on having anybody read it. It wasn't going to be published, but he died in his late 20s from the hardships he had being out in the, in the wilds ministering to the Indians. Jonathan Edwards found his diary and his stuff and said, we've got to publish this. This is just too good to keep being private, so it's been published. But David Brainerd, in that diary, writes about an afternoon when he decided to obey Christ and devote time to prayer. And he says he, he prayed for like half an hour and just like nothing was happening. Let, let's read the exact words that he wrote. Here's what he says. I'd been trying to pray, walking through a forest for nearly half an hour. Notice that word trying. Have you ever been trying to pray? Anybody ever tried to pray? Please say yes. This is just what happens to me very often, okay? He'd been trying to pray, walking through a forest for nearly half an hour, but I had no spiritual life and felt far from God. Can we say amen to that? Doesn't that happen much of the time? Let's just get real here, okay? Now, what's so beautiful, though, is that he didn't stop. He pressed in. He wanted to seek the Lord. He wanted to, to, to keep going. So here's, here's what he says then. But then as I kept praying unspeakable glory seemed to open to the view and apprehension of my soul. I did not see this with my eyes, and it was not some kind of spiritual vision, but I saw and understood and felt the glory of God like I never had before. 
Jesus is manifesting himself to David Brainerd as he prays. Do you see that? All I could do was stand still, full of awe and praise of God. My soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable. He's quoting from 1 Peter chapter 1 there. My soul rejoiced with joy unspeakable to see such a God, such a glorious, divine being. And I was inwardly pleased and satisfied that he should be God over all forever and ever. My soul was captivated and delighted with the excellency, loveliness, greatness, and other conceptions of God. I continued in this state of inward joy, peace, and astonishment till near dark. Okay, so here David Brainerd, seeking to obey God by praying. God says, be devoted to prayer, so he was seeking to do that. And just like Jesus promised, John 14, 21, David Brainerd received an even greater manifestation of Jesus' glory. He beheld his glory in the truth of God's word by the Holy Spirit. He saw, he felt, he worshiped, he loved, he was satisfied, he was inwardly pleased. He was in awe. Wouldn't you love more of that? See, if you've been saved, and I trust most all of you have been saved, if you haven't, we've got good news for you this morning, but, but those of you who are trusting Christ, you've had a taste of this. Don't you want more? More of Jesus being manifested to us. That's what the reward is. Now, when you read a story about like this from David Brainerd, this does not mean we will all have the exact same experience he did, Right? It doesn't mean we'll all have a greater manifestation in the same way or to the same degree. Jesus is very creative, but oh, you'll be blessed. You'll know. You'll be filled. The point is that the reward we are seeking is not health or wealth or crowns or mansions. The reward we're seeking is Christ. For me to live, Paul says, is Christ, and to die is gain. I want Jesus. That's the prize. So one of my struggles was thinking, why should I need rewards? Shouldn't Jesus be enough? And the answer is, yes, Jesus is enough. And he is the prize. And you'll receive more nearness with Jesus, more closeness with Jesus, a greater revelation of his glory in the truth of the scriptures when you obey. He'll manifest himself to you. Does that make sense? So please, no one leave here today thinking that the reward is something else. Why waste your time with inferior rewards and prizes when you can have Jesus Christ, your all-satisfying treasure, right? Okay, that's the first reason I was struggling was because I didn't understand what the reward was. Now, a second reason, see if, if this is a reason you struggle with rewards. I didn't understand what the reward shows, Here's what I mean. We can think that rewards show that we've earned something or that we've deserved something from God. But we all know because of our sin, we can't receive anything good from God by earning or deserving. It's all got to be pure grace and mercy through the cross, right? Because of our sin, we'll never earn or deserve anything good from God. All we deserve or earn because of our sin is judgment. But because of the cross, God loves to pour His grace out upon us. And so if you think that rewards are earned or deserved, you'll think, I'm not sure I want to pursue something 
that I'm trying to earn or deserve because I can't earn or deserve anything good from God. And you're right, because the rewards aren't earned or deserved. They're a gracious gift. Now, let me show you that from the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. See if, if you're persuaded by this. This passage shows me that the rewards are grace. Here's what Peter says, starting in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Okay, so our, our stance towards each other should be humility, to put each other first. Husbands, you're putting your wife first and serving her. Wives, you're putting your husband first, serving him under the Lord. These are all under the Lord, right? Okay, at the workplace, you're serving. In your home group, you're serving. So we're clothing ourselves with humility toward one another, and here's the reason why. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he motivates us to be humble by promising us the reward of grace. He'll give grace to those who are humble. So there's this reward of grace that we're going to receive. Now, what is this grace that we're going to receive as a result of being humble? That's in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, here's the reward, at the proper time he may exalt you. You'll be exalted. Now, that does not in the Bible mean that you are going to have lots of earthly fame. That's not what being exalted means. What it means is God will so show you Jesus' glory and fill you with Jesus' glory that you shine with Jesus' glory so all can see Jesus' glory. That's what exalt exaltation means. You're filled satisfied, shining with Jesus' glory, and people look at you and they say, Jesus is glorious. That's what it means to be exalted. But notice that he calls that exalting back in verse 5. He calls it giving grace to those who are humble. So the reward is that he'll exalt us with Jesus' glory, for Jesus' glory. But that exalting is, a, is grace. It's not deserved. It's not earned it's only grace. Does that make sense in that passage? Do you see that? So the reward is not earned. The reward is not deserved. The reward is only grace. I mean, think about David Brainerd's prayer. For 30 minutes, he was praying, and it was lifeless. Felt no spiritual life. Full of distractions and sin and just trying to pray. and Nothing worthy of a reward there, right? But in mercy, God pours out this increased manifestation of Jesus to him and totally blesses him. He rewarded David Brainerd's undeserving prayer. That's how it works. Now, let me, let me picture this, okay? Remember, we got this bread illustration going. We've been doing this series on living by faith. Our theme verse has been John 6, 35, where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. So here we are, hungry, we got heart hungers for joy, for meaning, for pleasure, and Jesus is here, this massive, beautiful platter full of the bread of life, all we could ever want to worship Jesus Christ, to trust Jesus Christ, to live for his glory, fills and satisfies us more than anything, but in our sin, we're, we're blinded to this. Our sin, sinful pride just says, I'm not going to look at that. And we, we find our little crusts over here, little, you know, lust or, or money or fame from other people. We think this is what's going to satisfy our heart hungers. So here's, here we are, we're, we're 
slaves of sin like Amy read for us earlier this morning. And then God in his power because of the cross changes our hearts, takes out our hearts of stone, gives us new hearts of flesh, opens our eyes, heals our blind eyes, and all of a sudden our blind eyes are healed and we say, what am I thinking? I mean, are you kidding me? This is nothing compared to this. And so we turn from our sin. We put our trust in Christ to forgive us for our sin, to change our hearts, and to satisfy us. And by faith alone, just trusting Christ to forgive me, just trusting Christ to change me. I don't need to change myself first. I trust him to change me. I trust him to satisfy me. By faith alone, I'm adopted. I have all of Christ's treasure, all of his forgiveness, all of his joy, adoption, justification, all the blessings, glorification, resurrection, perseverance, him keeping me. By faith alone in Christ alone, we're saved forever. You see that? And God then says, because of Christ's death, I'm going to mercifully reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in Christ now and forever. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And then God says, now, yes, and because of the cross, in my mercy, I'm going to reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in Christ. And so you obey, and God says, here, more. See, that works. And you obey, and God says, here, more. All right? Now, did I earn that by my obedience? Okay, please tell me you've got this. Did I earn that by my obedience? Listen, church, the answer is no. Okay, no, 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 no. Because if you think you're earning it, then it's pride and it's sin. We don't earn it. But because of the cross, God mercifully promises to reward our undeserving obedience with more joy in him now and forever. I mean, think about it. If Jesus wouldn't have died, if he had not died on the cross, then even your best moments of obedience, because they're still tinged with pride and sin, what do they deserve? Judgment. Do you see that? Because of our remaining sin, even our best moments of obedience, they're still tinged with pride and impure motives. I mean, I see that in myself all the time. Even our best moments, there's still sin there. And if it wasn't for Christ's death on the cross, even our best obedience would only deserve judgment. But because of the cross, because of the cross, oh, love the cross, love the cross of Jesus. Because of the cross, God mercifully promises to reward our undeserving obedience with more joy in Christ now and forever. So I hope this is helpful for you. These are the two reasons I really struggled thinking about being motivated by rewards. I didn't understand what the reward was. But then when I saw that it, it's Jesus himself, that was so helpful for me. And I didn't understand what the reward showed. I thought that to pursue rewards showed that I was trying to earn something. But I knew nothing could be, could be earned from a holy and righteous God, from a sinful man who still has sin tinged, even his best moments of obedience. But when I saw that it wasn't earned, it was graciously, mercifully given. And what this means, this, this is why God motivates us with rewards. Because when we're seeking the rewards, what we're seeking is God himself. And when we receive the reward, 
the one who's glorified is God himself. Right? I mean, when undeserving me and undeserving you gets this lavish reward from God, people just say, God, it must be amazing to reward this undeserving person such a lavish gift through the cross. He gets the glory. We get the joy of the reward. That's why God motivates us with rewards. I, I hope this persuades you. If not, just keep studying to see how often we're motivated by rewards throughout the Scriptures. Now, the question that I wanted to raise is, how does this work in, in real life? If this is how we're supposed to motivate our obedience, how does it work? Let's go back to my story about having my neighbor where I was too fearful to share the gospel with him, and God was convicting me. And during that process, I remember there was four steps that God took me through over a couple of week period, and my heart went from fearful about sharing the gospel to being passionate about sharing the gospel. And let me tell you how that happened, because I think this will be helpful for you as well. I would encourage you to take these steps. These are just four steps in the scriptures to help motivate your obedience when you find that there's part of your life where you're not obeying the Lord. So first step, understand why you're not motivated to obey. Why are you not motivated? I mean, if, if God's here, and if he's promising to, to reward more of your obedience with more joy in Christ, and I mean... Why wouldn't you obey, pursue, and seek Christ? There's only one reason. It's because your sin at that moment has blinded you to all that you have in Christ. And in your heart hunger, all you see is these scraps of sin in front of you. It's because you're not trusting Christ's promise of reward. You're not trusting that he is an all-satisfying reward. And that's what was happening with me. The fact that I was so concerned about like, having my heart hunger satisfied by having my neighbor think I was cool or having me be popular or whatever in the neighborhood, or not having people laugh at me, right? I mean, really? I mean, I'm going I'm to be pursuing this when I've got this in front of me? How could I do that? It's because my sinful pride was blinding me to Christ, and this is all that I was seeing, and in my heart hunger, this is all I was seeing, so this is what I wanted. Do you see how that works? And so the reason you're not motivated to obey in that area is because you're not trusting God's promise of reward. You're not trusting that Christ is your all-satisfying treasure, and that in his mercy, because of the cross, he'll reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in him forever. You're not trusting that. That's the problem. You see that? So then what do you do? Well, second step, once you've, once you've seen that, turn to Jesus, confess your unbelief as sin, and ask for his help. So I would encourage you, what I did was I just prayed. I would encourage you to kneel down by your bed or just get some time between you and the Lord. Acknowledge the, the sin of your unbelief, that you've let your sin blind you so you're not seeing the reality, the beauty, the glory, the majesty of Jesus. You're being pulled towards sin, disobedience. Confess that as sin before the Lord God. Trust Jesus' death on the cross as the only way you can be forgiven and clothed with righteousness and made right. And when you come Confessing your sin before the Lord, trusting Christ, you'll be assured you are completely forgiven. It's beautiful. Forgiven, right? Guilt will lift off, and then ask God, now help me. Change this fearful, sinful, blind heart. Help me, please. And you know the beautiful thing is, He will. He will change your heart. He will help you. So first step, see why you're not motivated because you're not trusting God's promise of reward. Second step, 
confess the sin of your unbelief and ask for God's help. So pray, help me. Change my heart. I can't change my own heart. Open my eyes. Help me to see Jesus again. Third step, find a promise that will help you in the area of obedience that you're struggling in. And here's the promise that I found during this season. Luke 6, 22 and 23. Here's what Jesus says. This is an amazing statement. If you're fearful of sharing the gospel with people, memorize these verses. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Like, yes! Right? I mean, that sounds like you're nuts. Right? Why? Here's why. It's a great reason why. For, behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So here's the promise. When you are on the path of obedience to the Lord, and in the path of humble, loving obedience, people scoff at you or mock you. I mean, we can do rude things and people will scoff at us and mock us. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Are we clear on that? This is when you're, you're walking in love, you're walking in humility, sharing the gospel. Maybe that's what it is. And people scoff, people mock, people make fun of you, people ostracize you, people shun you in some way. If that's what's happening, then you can be full of joy. It'll be painful, but oh, you can be full of joy because your reward is great in heaven. In other words, the reason why is because you know there's more. Just been added onto your stack, okay? That's what he's talking about. More joy in Christ because of your obedience and your cost than if you hadn't been obeying and hadn't endured that cost. So here's the promise, Luke 6, 22 and 23. Now, my problem was, I'm sorry, what was the reference? It was Luke 6, yeah, 22 and 23. I was right, okay. Now, my problem was I wasn't, I wasn't believing that promise. If I believed that promise, I'd be sharing the gospel with my neighbor, right? I wasn't believing the promise. I could read it, I can understand it, but I wasn't believing it. And so, it's not enough just to find the promise. There's this fourth step, and that is pray over those promises until your faith is strengthened and your heart changes. Okay, so here's what happened. I knew that the promise was here under this. I wasn't believing it. I was, just, I was fearful of losing these little guys over here when I had all this over here, but I wasn't seeing it, and so I just prayed. Something like this, Father, help me to see more clearly the reward in heaven. Help me to taste that now. Give me a, a taste, a deposit of that final inheritance so I'll know it's real and, and that you're all satisfying in Christ. By the power of your spirit, now take the truths of this scripture in Luke 6, and 23. Help me to see it. Help me to savor it. Help me to love it. Help me to feel it. Help me, Lord. And I, I just was praying this and some other passages, other promises for the next couple of days. And slowly but surely, I felt my heart start to change. I, I didn't have a David Brainerd experience but my heart was changing and my, my fear was shrinking and my longing and love for Jesus was growing. You know how that happens? It was, it was shifting. And at the end of about another week or two, my heart was totally changed. I was really free from fear. I really, I loved my neighbor. I didn't want him to make fun of me because I wanted him to accept the gospel, but it would have been okay for the sake of Jesus. I prayed 
This had been lifted. I saw Jesus once again. I wasn't fearful anymore. And so here's what I did. I started praying and saying, God, how could I share the gospel with my neighbor? What could I do? Show me how. One day I was driving and I saw him walking just kind of randomly out in the neighborhood. And so I thought, maybe he, go, he goes on walks. And so the next time I saw him, I think we were out getting our mail from the mailbox. I said, do you go on walks? I saw you walking the other day. He said, oh, I love to walk. I said, I love to walk too. Let's go on a walk together. He goes, let's do it. So Saturday morning, we'll go for a walk. So Saturday morning, it's about a 45-minute circuit around this creek near our, our, our homes. And we wanted to walk together, and I just asked him lots of questions about himself. And he told me his whole story. It's an amazing story where he grew up, his father, how they moved to San Jose, California. And then we finished up, got back to our homes, and he said, I'm so sorry. I've talked the whole time. Next time we walk, why don't you tell me your story? I said, okay, I will. So I think it was the next Saturday. We went on the same walk, and I told him my story. And, and I wove into it my, my heart emptiness, uh, didn't know God, facing God's judgment because of sin, how I saw the truth of Jesus Christ, historical truth, beautiful truth, his death on the cross, that even though I was facing God's wrath, God sent Jesus to die, that I put my trust in Christ, the guilt lifted off of me, the love of God came upon me, my heart was filled, I was transformed. I mean, I wove it into our whole story, and he was, he was listening uh, respectfully, didn't make fun of me. Um, he says, I'm not so sure about that. You know, so I, I said, well, we can talk about that more. Finished up that walk. We took a lot of walks after that. Kept talking. He's not come to faith yet. I think a day or two before we moved here, he was, he's come down with a pretty serious illness. We prayed for him. We prayed that God would heal him. We prayed that God would show Jesus to him. We've been praying for him a lot. So we prayed for him that night. He wasn't healed that night that we could see in any way, but we're still praying for him. But my heart had been changed. You see that? I was free from fear and full of love for my neighbor, and I, I still love him, and I still want to see him come to faith in Christ. So see, that's how God wants us to motivate our obedience. Back to Abraham, it's by faith, Hebrews 11.8, and Hebrews 11.6 shows that that means trusting God's promise of reward, and the reward is not something separate from Christ. The reward is Christ. The reward is not something we try to earn or deserve. The reward is a gracious gift that God mercifully gives to our undeserving obedience. And when we pray over those promises of reward, the Holy Spirit will change your heart so you believe the promise. You understand the promise. You love the promise. You taste Jesus, the reality of Him, in the truth of His Word. So you want Him and His glory and His honor more than anything else, and you're motivated to obey. Now here's my challenge to you. I want you to think about this. We're talking about the fact that the way you live this afternoon will impact your joy in Christ forever, now and forever. Do you see that? The way you live this afternoon, more now and forever. Do you feel the impact of that? I mean, how long is forever, Grace Church? It is a long, long time. And what this has done for me is it's, it's just dialed up the significance of every moment. Oh, I want more of glory to come to you, Jesus. Your glory is my joy. Help me to be obedient. I want more of you. I want to obey you more. And again, when we sin, forgive me. I'm sorry. You're immediately assured of his love and his forgiveness. He'll pour his grace out upon you. Help me to obey again. 
We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. No obedience required to be saved. You understand that? Just turning and saying, help me, change me. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to be set free from sin. That's how we're saved. And then we're saved. And then God says, yes. And now because of Christ's death, I promise I will reward your undeserving obedience with more joy in Christ now and forever. Some of you have not been taking the reward seriously enough. Some of you have been playing games with obedience as if it doesn't make any lasting difference whether you obey or not. Listen, it makes an eternal difference in how much joy you will have forever. And the joy of knowing Christ is worth it all. Remember in 1 Corinthians 3, I think it is, Paul says, some are saved yet as through fire, and others are saved with a full reward. Right? It makes a difference. And how long is eternity? I mean, our life here is like a pinprick in length, right? And eternity is like a million light years long. And that's just getting started. So my call to us, Grace Church, is let's be men and women who acknowledge when we're not obeying. We don't despair. We don't give up. We don't just try harder, but we open up God's Word. We find the promises. We confess our unbelief. We pray over the promises. We say, change my heart. Help me to see this. Help me to believe this. Help me to feel this, because He will come and work that in us. That's what He will do. That's my call to us. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. And if somebody could take this table down, then we can have the worship team come up. Thank you. Father, I pray you'd pour out your spirit upon us right now in exactly the way we each need I pray for those who maybe still struggle with the idea of rewards. I just pray that as they continue to study, as they continue to ponder and ask questions, that you would show them what's in your word. That they'd have their questions answered and their puzzlements addressed. I pray for those here, Lord, who are involved in in willful known sin. And they're, they're not confessing it. They're not repenting. They're just continuing in known sin. I pray, Lord, that right now you would stir a yearning in their heart for freedom. I pray that you'd stir a yearning in their heart for you to work in their heart, to set them free from that sin, to put them on a path of obedience where there's fullness of joy in Christ and pleasures in you forever. So I pray that you would do that right now by the power of your spirit, Lord. Set them free. Change their hearts as they come to the cross and confess and repent, I pray. Lord, I pray for any of us here who've been casual, too casual, too lukewarm, not zealous about living, following, obeying you, living for your glory. God, I pray that right now you'd you'd wake us up to ask, what are we doing? What's going to matter a hundred years from now? What will I have wanted to live for a hundred years from now? Lord, show us. Give us a taste of the prize. Give us a taste of your glory. 
in Jesus Christ, we ask that we would say, I want you, you're all I want, you're my joy, you're my bread, you're my eat, my drink, you're everything, I want more of you, and so we'll obey you with zeal and passion, not to seek some other prize, but to seek you, and not because we're trying to earn something, but because you promise in your grace to reward our undeserved, undeserving obedience. So Lord, work this in our hearts right now, we pray in Jesus' name.